The following pre-recorded program is sponsored by Carla Swanigan Ministries. Get ready to experience and receive the grace you long for from the heart of God. Welcome to Scandalous Grace with Carla Swanigan. Carla is a wife and mother, international speaker, minister, and engaging storyteller known for her transparency with an impactful testimony of how God has transformed her own life. Her desire is to connect you with the heart of God and the truth of how he truly loves and sees you. If you're hurt, if you're broken, if you yearn for God's love and acceptance, let the healing begin. Now, here's Carla Swanigan. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Scandalous Grace, where we leave religion out of it and just bring Jesus. I am your host, Carla Swanigan. So glad you're joining us on the show. Today, we are talking about our living hope. Our living hope, our living hope is Jesus, obviously, but I, um, after we've just celebrated Easter, I want to talk a little bit about what that means to me and what our hope being alive means to me and hopefully what it means to you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. That's our text. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 24, I am reading from the passion translation today. Some of you have written in and asked me. About this translation, you have really liked it, which is exciting to me because it is my favorite way to read the Bible right now. And um, you can always find out about the Passion Translation um, on Amazon. You can Google it, but um, it is a great way to get into the Word. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Now, this is after um, Jesus obviously has been crucified and he's been buried in the garden tomb. And we're going to pick up here. Um, Sunday morning, okay, chapter 24 of Luke. Very early that Sunday morning, the women made their way to the tomb, carrying the spices they had prepared. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, Jesus' mother. After arriving at the tomb, they discovered that the huge stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside. So they went in to look, but the tomb was empty. The body of Jesus was gone. They stood there, stunned and perplexed. Suddenly, two men in dazzling white robes, shining like lightning, appeared above them. Terrified, the women fell to the ground on their faces. The men in white said to them, Why would you look for the living one in a tomb? He is not here, for he has risen. Have you forgotten what he said to you while he was still in Galilee? The Son of Man is destined to be handed over to sinful men to be nailed to a cross, and on the third day, he will rise again. All at once, they remembered his words. Leaving the tomb, they went to break the news to the eleven and to all the others of what they had seen and heard. When the disciples heard the testimony of the women, it made no sense, and they were unable to believe what they heard. But Peter jumped up and ran the entire distance to the tomb to see for himself. Stooping down, he looked inside and discovered it was empty. There was only the linen sheet lying there. Staggered by this, he walked away, wondering what it meant. Okay, so that was our text from Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. And so when I read that, I really felt like what the Holy Spirit was highlighting to me for the message for you guys today was some of the words that are used that are described how the ladies felt and how the disciples felt when they realized the tomb was empty. And I just want to go back and read some of those to you. In verse 4, it says they stood there stunned and perplexed. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, when the disciples heard about it, it made no sense. And they were unable to believe what they heard. 
you know, and they walked away wondering what in the world does all this mean? And I don't know about you, but I have been in lots of situations, especially with the Lord, where I have looked at a situation that I'm in and I have literally felt stunned, perplexed, confused, afraid, um, even like full of doubt and unbelief. So I can totally relate to how they were feeling, but especially the situations that make it hard for me to believe that God's going to turn something good out of it because it makes no sense. Like I really was hit by verse 11 when it says the disciples were unable to believe it because it made no sense. And I don't know about you, but I have been in situations like that with the Lord where I'm like, why is this even happening? God, not only why is it happening, but why are you allowing it to happen? You know, I'm so confused. This is so painful. This is so hard. Um, I don't understand. How could you ever make something good out of this? You know, have you ever been in that type of situation? Um, you know, has, has the Lord even asked you to do something that doesn't make any sense? I know for me, my story goes back. Um, the one that comes to my mind immediately when I was reading this text of situations that made no sense or things that God asked me to do that, that looked really confusing to me in 2009, the Lord asked me to lay my job down that I'd been at for like 15 years. If you've ever heard me share my testimony before, you've heard me talk about this a little bit. I was in sales in outside sales for a family owned business that I'd been with them for, like I said, 15 or more years. And I was very successful at that job. I enjoyed that job. They were really good to me. It was a great place to work and I was blessed to work there. And, um, I started feeling like the Lord tugging on my heart that it was time for me to lay that job down. And he was calling me to quit my job. He wasn't telling me that I was going to another job or anything like that. I just knew that, that it was going to be um, a time at home with my family, being a mom and a wife. And also I felt like the Lord was going to use that time to draw me closer to him and give me more time to get into the word and, you know, take some more classes at church and stuff like that because I wasn't working. And so after lots of prayer and lots of time, probably about a year praying about it in 2009, I did quit that job. My husband, John and I, we did not understand it. It was when the market was really crashing and people were looking for jobs. So for me to be quitting a job truly did make no sense. <laughs> um, but we both after much prayer knew that it's what God was calling us to do. And so I did that. And, um, I spent the first couple of weeks of January, you know, just taking care of my family and, and sitting in my sunroom, studying the word and, and hanging out with the Lord and, um, just getting used to not being at work every day. And not getting my identity in that place, which is another, that's a whole nother story of why God called me to lay that job down. But a couple of weeks after I quit my job, I got a phone call um, from my stepmom letting me know that my dad had gone to the doctor and what they thought was just a really bad sinus infection, cold that wouldn't go away. Turns out that in fact, he had cancer. He had a type of lung cancer small cell carcinoma, I believe is what he, it was called at the time. And it was really fast moving and really progressive. And it had already moved into other organs in his body. And they were given my dad with chemo and treatment. They were giving him about a year to live without the chemo and treatment. They were giving him two months, 60 days. And so I immediately packed a bag and jumped in my car and made the, the road trip home from Colorado to Alabama. It's about 22 hours. And, and I drove that straight through and was so thankful in that moment of driving that I didn't have a job that 
I had to call and explain why I was going to need to be taking some extended time off. Like I could see in that moment instantly that God had made a way for me in advance because he knew this was coming down the pipe, you know, with my dad. And so I was able to um, spend those first few weeks when my dad was making his decisions about whether or not he wanted treatment and how he wanted everything to go. And my dad was pretty adamant after talking to the doctors about what the chemo was going to look like and what it was going to entail and how it was going to make him feel and how it was going to affect his quality of life. My dad decided right away that he did not want to do that, that he wanted to enjoy his, the last of his time with his family on this earth. And my dad was a believer and he was looking forward to being with the Lord. Um, my dad was super stubborn. That's probably where I get it from. I am definitely a daddy's girl, but, um, he made up his mind and he was determined that he was not going to get the treatment and that he was going to go out his way and um, in the Lord's timing and whatever that looked like was how it was going to be. And so I came back home to Colorado and, um, you know, spent some time with my family and really got into prayer with the Lord about healing my dad. I really wanted the Lord to heal my dad and um, I had been taking healing classes at church um, about, you know, all the scriptures that it teaches us about God being our healer and by his stripes, he, we are healed and, and, you know, on the cross, it was finished, like all those things. And I made a list and, um, I was journaling every day of all these things, all these prayers I was praying and ways that I was asking the Lord to heal my dad. And, and I drove back down to Alabama and, um, I spent that, that month with my dad just praying for him, laying hands on him every day, doing everything the Bible said to do everything I'd learned about in my healing classes at church, other people's testimonies of how God had healed one of their loved ones from cancer. I was just claiming all of that for my dad. And, and my dad was so patient with me. He would just sit there while I was, you know, putting the oil on him, like it says in the Bible to do and, and praying prayers over him for his healing. And he would recite those scriptures with me. And, and he was so patient and so kind, but you guys, my dad, I know for sure had made up his mind that he was going home to be with the Lord. He was ready. And, um, I don't think there was anything I could say or do to change that. And as a matter of fact, um, you know, as much as I talked to the Lord about it and prayed about it, I would, I would journal everything that I felt like the Lord was saying to me. And right from the beginning, the Lord told me, you know, I'm with you. You're not alone. I'm with you on this walk to bring your daddy home. You know, he's, he's going to be with me and I've got him and it's going to be okay. And, um, I did. I just kept praying for his healing, but exact, exactly 60 days to the day that my dad was diagnosed. Um, he lost his fight with cancer and he went to be with the Lord exactly 60 days. And that is so like my dad. Cause he's like, well, if the doctor says 60 days, I'm taking the 60 days and it just cracks me up now looking back on it. But, um, you guys, it was super hard for me because I really wanted the Lord to heal my dad. And it was, it was hard for me to understand how anything good could ever come out of him dying so young and him having cancer. And, um, you know, I wanted the Lord to do that miracle and, and, um, he didn't. And that was really hard for me. I didn't understand. And I remember feeling kind of like the disciples, I'm sure felt they were confused and they were hurt and they were sad. And I remember after my dad's funeral, um, and it was right around Easter as well. It's been about nine years ago, this past Easter weekend that he went to be with Jesus. 
but I remember driving back and getting back home to Colorado and just kind of hashing it out with the Lord and saying, you know, I don't understand all that. Like, I'm grateful that I laid my job down when I did. So I had these two months with my dad and this one-on-one time with him. And um, I'm really grateful for that, but I don't understand Lord why you didn't just heal him. He was so young, you know? And I remember the Lord taking me back to my journal that I had written the very first day, actually, that I found about his diagnosis. And the Lord said, I told you from the beginning that I was with you and that you are not alone and that I was with you on this walk to bring your daddy home. I told you from the beginning that he was coming home to be with me. And you guys, I, I did. I got my journal out and I looked through that. And sure enough, that's exactly what he told me. But I didn't want to hear it that way. I wanted to hear it in the way that suited me, which was he was going to heal my dad miraculously and everything was going to be hunky-dory and and I was going to be happy and it was going to go the way I wanted. But it doesn't always go the way we want. And sometimes we don't understand that. And looking back on it now, my dad was ready to go home. My dad was ready to be with Jesus. He had had several heart attacks um, from very, you know, in his 40s, my dad started having heart attacks. And so he'd been through lots of health crisis and um, many things. And I think my dad, to be honest with you, was just ready. He just wore out and he loved the Lord and and he knew heaven was going to be an awesome place. And, and he was sick of sickness and disease and he was just ready to go home. And I can't fault him for that. Um, I know that I guess I can say to you right now that the reason hope is alive in me and I still felt hopeful after that situation is because my hope is in Jesus. And because of Jesus, I know I'll get to see my dad again. I know when my time comes and I get to heaven, my dad's going to be one of the first people at the gates with the Lord Jesus to greet me. And that's how I can say to you that my hope is alive. Just like for Mary Magdalene and Mary, Jesus's mom and all the women and disciples at the tomb, their hope from the beginning was in Jesus and they didn't understand and they were perplexed and they were stunned when they got to the tomb, but it's because he rose again. And because he rose again, We all get to be with him in heaven again someday. All of us believers get to be with him. You know, um, I love that part where it says in chapter 24 of Luke, I think it's verse eight, where it says all at once they remembered his words. And doesn't that happen to us too? We're going through something that's so hard and we're in so much pain and, and so much heartache. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to us and reminds us of something he's promised us or something we've read in the word. He highlights a scripture to us that that the Lord is speaking to us in our sorrow and in our confusion and in our grief, in our grief and all at once, just like the women in this story. And just like the disciples, we suddenly remember that our hope is in Jesus and that everything he has promised us is for our good. And he is faithful, even when we don't understand and we can't see the outcome and we don't know how it's going to turn out. Our hope is in him. And honestly, reading those words in my journal that day after I got back home and And we had just um, buried my dad. You know, reading those words in my journal brought me so much peace and comfort while I was grieving his passing. And it gave me that hope, like I said, because I will see my daddy again. You know, whatever situation you're in that has you maybe confused or afraid or, or stunned, unable to believe that God's best for you can come out of that situation. Just remember, it's like it says in our text of Luke. 24 it says later in verse 37 I'm going to read that to you and I think this is going to bring you some great comfort it says don't let doubt or fear enter your hearts 
for I am. And then it goes on and say in verse 44, everything written about me will be fulfilled. So don't fear, don't doubt, be at peace because God's got you. We may not see the outcome right now. We may not understand. We may be grieving, you know, we may be really confused, but just remember that your hope is in Jesus and you're not alone. Just like he told me I wasn't alone. Just like he, um, was right there with the disciples the whole time and they just didn't know it. You know, it goes on. The resurrection story is told again. It's told in all four gospels, but we just read it in Luke, but it, it tells us about it again. John's version of the story is really beautiful also. And it's in John chapter 20. I want to read to you just a few verses. We're going to pick up in John chapter 20, verse 11. And again, this is after they've realized that Jesus is not in the tomb. And it says, Mary arrived back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. She stopped to peer inside and through her tears, she saw two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus's body had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. Dear woman, why are you crying? They asked. Mary answered, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Then she turned around to leave and there was Jesus standing in front of her, but she didn't realize it was him. He said to her, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary answered, thinking he was only the gardener. Sir, if you've taken his body somewhere else, tell me, and I will go and marry. Jesus interrupted her. Turning to face him, she said, Rabbani, which is Aramaic for my teacher. And I love this part of the resurrection story that John tells about Mary, because I love that Jesus called her by name. She's standing there. She's in sorrow. She's in so much grief and confusion and fear, and Jesus speaks her name, and she realizes it's him. You know, she's in so much pain. Has that ever happened to you? You're in so much grief. You're in so much pain. You don't know why something is happening, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to you and just says your name, just like you did for Mary. It just instantly puts your eyes back on Jesus and helps you focus on what the Lord is doing in your life. And it also more than anything reminds us that he is our living hope. Our hope is alive because he is alive. He died on the cross and rose again for our sins and to reunite us with the father. He's the one that made a way for us. So even in the midst of our confusion and our hopelessness, we can turn our eyes back on Jesus and remember that he is our hope. Even in situations that we don't understand what's going on, just like Mary Magdalene, she was so freaked out, you guys, I'm sure. You know, here's the teacher she had followed, the man that she believed in, um, she knew was here to save the world, and she didn't understand what was going on. But in the midst of her confusion, there he is, and he said her name, and I love that so much. You know, I feel like that's what's going on with you guys today, too. I know God's done it many times in my life where in the midst of my confusion, he just says my name, Carla, I'm right here with you. And I believe that he's saying that to some of you listening today too. whatever you're going through, whatever looks hopeless. I just want you to know it's not God's in the midst of it and he is there for you and just listen to him right now. He just wants to get your attention. He wants to remind you that he is there for you and that he is your hope. No matter how hopeless your situation looks, you can put your hope in him. Listen to him. Say your name, hear his voice speaking to you, calming you in the midst of your fear. And maybe your doubt and even sometimes our unbelief, right? We look at these situations and we're like, what in the world is going on? Like what in the actual world is happening, right? 
I know I've got a situation in my life right that like that right now, you guys, where there's some opportunities in front of me. Um, they're big opportunities. They look kind of scary. It looks totally different than I thought it would look with my ministry. Um, I had no idea that this would be an option that maybe the Lord's asking me to do or look at. Kind of like Mary, she had no idea that she was going to go back to that tomb and his body was not going to be there. She didn't understand. Um, that's not how she, she thought things would turn out. She, she, they, None of them understood that he was going to die on the cross, even though he tried to tell them that's what was going to happen. But in that moment, they didn't understand. And I'm kind of in one of those situations, maybe you are too, where I feel like God's asking me to do something and I don't understand why he would ask me to do that. And like I said, it doesn't look anything like I thought it would look. But I have a choice to make. Am I going to believe that he is my hope and that I can trust him? Am I going to step into that opportunity, no matter how confusing it is to me, and let him be my peace and him be my strength? Because that's what he's asking us to do. And that's what he's asking me to do. I don't know. Maybe he's asking you to do that, too. Um, I've been praying about this um, opportunity to have a lot, trying to figure out, is this God? Is this me? You know, Lord, I need you to confirm this to me. I need you to make some things clear. And sure enough, he reminded me recently that he's been talking to me about it for a really long time. Again, I just had to flip through my journal to find that the Lord's been saying to me for a while, one phrase over and over, I am going to help you, Carla, I am going to help you. And as soon as I read that, I was like, okay, you're right. You have been telling me that. I believe you're going to help me, Lord. If this is you, I'm just going to keep trusting you to open each door in front of me and I'm going to walk with you. And, um, even if I don't understand, I'm going to trust you. And when he said that to me and I read that, it was just like instantly, just like Mary Magdalene in our text instantly when he said my name and I read in my journal, what he was speaking to me, I was overjoyed and I felt his peace and I was like, okay, Lord, this is you, you know, just like Mary Magdalene recognized that it was the Lord when he said her name. That's how I felt in that moment. And maybe that's what you need today too. You just need some confirmation from the Lord that, that what you're going through, that he's in it with you. And even maybe some choices, some opportunities he's placed in front of you that look kind of risky or kind of scary, you know, just let him speak to you about it. He wants to talk to you about it. And I know that it's, it's going to kind of end up for all of us. Like it did for Mary, you know, in verse 16, she goes from being super sad. She's so heartbroken that the Lord's body's not there. And she's so confused. And then when she sees him and he speaks her name and she realizes that Jesus, her living hope is standing right in front of her. She goes from sad to glad, right? The moment she recognizes him, she goes on to tell the other disciples further down in the text in verse 18, I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. And I believe that that's what we're going to be saying when we come out on the other side of our current perplexing, confusing maybe what in the Sam Hill is actually happening type of situation that we're all going through. We're going to be able to see, we're going to be able to see him in it. We're going to be able to say to others, I have seen the Lord. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is alive. He's alive and well. And like that song says, he's alive and well living on the inside of me. Jesus is our hope of glory. He's our hope of glory and he is alive. And so I just encourage you, whatever it is you're going through, put your hope in the Lord. You know, just trust in him. If you've never received him as your savior, today is your day. Do that. Ask him to come into your heart and be your savior. And he will. The word says everyone that believes in him and confesses with their mouth that he is Lord will be saved. And that's the simple gospel, folks. So I want to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for everyone listening. Lord, I pray that um, 
whatever situation they're in that looks hopeless, that you remind them that you are their living hope, that they can trust in you, that you will be in the outcome of this, whatever that looks like. Even if it doesn't look like they thought it would look, Lord, I pray that you give them clarity and wisdom, confirmation of whatever it is you're asking them to do. And most of all, I pray for your peace and your presence to be with them, just like it was with Mary in that moment of her doubt and confusion. Lord, I just pray that your presence will be with us all and that you will keep guiding and directing our steps, Lord, and help us to remember that we carry the living hope of Jesus to the world on the inside of us. And that's you, Lord. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I love it every week when I hear from my listeners. I would love to hear from you from um, just how the show's blessing you or ministering to you in any way at Scandalous Grace at carlaswanigan.com. And I would love it if you would check out this ministry at carlaswanigan.com. We need your donations, you guys, to keep this show cooking and on the air. It's a ministry outreach, and we need all the help we can get from you guys. And I would be so blessed if you would prayerfully consider donating to us and, and helping us do what we do week after week. We love you guys. I bless you. I pray for you every week, and I would love to hear from you. And remember, leave religion out of it and just bring Jesus. We hope you were blessed by today's episode of Scandalous Grace with Carlos Wanigan. Please go to carloswanigan.com to listen to podcasts, see where Carla will be speaking, and to find out about all of Carla Swanigan Ministries' resources, including her video devotional series. Scandalous Grace with Carla Swanigan is a listener-supported radio ministry outreach. We depend on your prayers and donations. Please go to carloswanigan.com for ways you can partner with Carla in reaching listeners with God's love and grace. Please join us again next Saturday at 4 p.m. for Scandalous Grace with Carlos Wanigan.